everybody. Welcome to the Citadel Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Fleming. I'm joined by my beautifully bearded boy, Joshua wow. Citta. Thanks. Thanks, You're Nate. Welcome. That feels great. Yeah. I think this is the first time there's been a positive intro for me, so I appreciate that. Uh, I am joined by my forgetful co-host, uh, Joshua Sitta. He forgets that I sometimes compliment him on here. I thought this was a turning a new leaf for you. Yeah, we are turning a new leaf, my BBB. <laughs> Today's episode is a special guest. We have Maxim from Lima Charlie, one of one of your friends, huh, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really excited for this one. He gets into some some interesting territory about his. Uh, his new company and a new approach to endpoint detection and response. Yeah, really cool nerdy stuff coming up real soon, guys. And by that, I mean most of the time I'm just smiling. <laughs> so please enjoy this episode. It's got a lot of really cool information. But instead of us bantering like we do, like old married couples do time to time, uh, we have a guest. Sure do, yeah. Um, I'm not even going to attempt his last name because, man, I know I'm going to kill it. Um, that's a French last name, right, Maxim? It is, it is. But you got the first name just so well that maybe you'll get the last name okay. Go for it. I want to hear it. Ooh, I'm going to say it's Maxim de Bresson. close am I? Say it for us, Oh, God. So in the French accent, it's Maxim Lama Brassard. That is what I said. Same thing. That's pretty accurate. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't catch the middle one, but I did get the ending. So I got Maxim a middle I won't attempt, and then the ending, which I also won't attempt because I'm not, I'm bad at French. I I took less than a semester of it. I, I speak to people that that took years of it every time, and anglophones is just it's a hard one. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me. Maxim um, uh, is uh, he, he's sort of like a um, he, he's somebody who can help the security community evolve forward. He's been a part of a bunch of different projects for different cybersecurity startups or like cybersecurity titans. Um, we talked about um, the adversary database that CrowdStrike runs. Yeah, former CrowdStrike here in our midst, and then a bunch of stuff. Working with the Canadian government, where I want to start out my my questions. Help me understand what it is exactly that you worked on for for Canada. Very exactly, with all the details. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I I worked for an organization called CSE. Most Canadians don't know about it either. Uh, so you know, it's even more remote for for Americans. But uh, yeah, I'm Canadian. I should start by saying that. Uh, it's it's essentially kind of like a mix of the NSA and the FBI in the U.S. So it's in the intelligence community. It's in the five eyes. Uh, if you, I mean, in security, probably heard that term before. Um, so yeah, in Canada, it's a mix between FBI and NSA because it's got uh, kind of a dual mandate, right? So it's got the, the foreign intelligence mandate and then the uh, I don't know what they call it, but like the the domestic security mandate. The five eyes. If you're in security, you know it. But if you're me, what? My mom. My mom's gonna ask that question, Maxim, and you know she's gonna want the answer. That's right. That's right. And it, and it sounds a little bit ominous. Um, more ominous than it really is. Although that's a very you know that's a really touchy topic in security. Um, but like the five eyes is essentially. Uh, God, let's see if I can get this. So, uh, U.S., U.K. Canada, Australia, and New Zealand um, that have 
this agreement to, at a high level, it's like share intelligence and capabilities. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a club of intelligence agencies of like countries that kind of align pretty well, generally speaking, in in like priorities and that kind of stuff. So it's a sort of defense, sort of intelligence thing. Kind of like a friars club, but for information technology when it comes to countries. What's a yeah. friars club? Oh, so uh, us comedians know about friars clubs. Uh, <laughs> what, what a friars club is, is where it's a community of comedians who get together and roast each other. It sounds brutal. <laughs> it is pretty brutal. It's, it's pretty brutal. So some of the work that you've done uh, for Canada, some of that consulting that you did up there, um, is it too far of a leap for me to say that we benefit from from some of your work in Canada here in America since we have um, sort of an intelligence alliance? That That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Like there's a ton of classified detailed stuff, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there's a ton of cooperation. And so, you know, different agencies will help each other, um, you know, around like intelligence sharing, but also around like very technical capabilities. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Is government work something that you set out to be a part of, or is that something that happened because of your expertise? Um, it, it's I started there. I uh, so I, I studied in uh, in British Columbia at UVic uh, in Victoria, and I did. Uh, it, it, there's this um, this program called the co-op program. It's like internship thing, and so I did uh, every single one of my internships there except one, and then in the last one. I kind of got it like in the group that wasn't there that I really wanted to get into. Um, and they gave me an offer uh, to come back full time. So I got out of university straight into it. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so, Maxim, uh, I'm going to hit you with a, uh, a really hard technical question that I just thought of all of my own. Mm. What is your favorite dinosaur? Oh, come on. Now I don't have any more questions to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it the, the real ones or the ones that like they came up with uh, Jurassic Park, like the new ones that they invented? I can't believe this is happening. I will <laughs> say, uh, don't worry about the ones they invented because I will absolutely bring it up if you don't after you mention which dinosaur is your favorite. So don't don't worry too much about it because I'll clear the air if I need to. I, that's the one thing I'm very focused on is getting our dinosaur information as close to factually correct as possible. Rest of the cybersecurity stuff, you guys could make up letters and tell things to me, won't know. But these dinosaurs got to be right. So it's a, go ahead. There, there's no wrong answer, but there is a wrong answer. Yeah, if you lose the dinosaur naming, then society breaks down. So I totally understand. See, he I, makes it. I hate how much validation you're giving me yeah. in this moment. <laughs> Oh, it matters. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pick a, 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 a you know, I'm sure you hear uh, T-Rex and uh, Velociraptor all the time, so I'm gonna say like Stegosaurus. Stegosaurus. Thank you. Or, or you might have also been saying Cyracosaurus, which is also similar to the Stegosaurus, but it just depends on were you going for like uh, Triceratops or Triceratopsidae family, but it seems like you were going more towards Stegosauridae, which is the plates and the tail. I mean, clearly, one would never mix those up together. Obviously. No, ever, never, never, never would they mix any dinosaurs up incorrectly, would they, Joshua? No, no. Good, thank you. Uh, Stegosaurus, <laughs> great answer. It was my favorite for a little while simply because of the Lost World Jurassic Park and the scene where they charge uh, right at everybody in the middle of the river. Uh, that was, really liked that. Really liked that. Do you know the Good plates time. on top? 
they think that they could be something that warmed the dinosaur, but they also think that it served no purpose. They were just up there. It's like it, it wasn't armor. It was like it was just there to warm the dinosaur because they were cold-blooded. It's a cybersecurity podcast. Take it away, Josh. You have an important question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about some of the work that you're working on right now. Give us just like kind of the quick background of this this interesting new approach that you've got to EDR, something that we've talked about on the, the podcast before. Sure, sure. Um, it's it, it's a really it's a new approach, um, and, and I would say it's kind of a, opening a lot of doors is really how I look at it, right? Um, like going back briefly, like when I was in the government, the thing that I loved the most about it was having the ability to go and uh, and directly influence kind of the things that I was securing, right? So what I mean by that is like it was really a super greenfield thing and um i really like the ability to go and say hey i'm thinking of this new idea this new thing that maybe you know we if we looked and tried to detect this thing we could find some bad guys and having the ability to go and do it and since then like i love the government a while back now i i feel like um a lot in the industry you know we, we've kind of lost a little bit of that magic and i totally get why um you know, I think a lot of the solutions in the EDR space and in security are really kind of aimed towards, you know, the 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 thing that you do a couple of clicks and it keeps you safe and you don't have to understand why, right? It, it's like this this widget for grandma and grandpa, right? And that's good. That's needed. Totally, totally need that. But what we didn't have is the the kind of solution where you're able to actually get the keys and influence that security. And I think it's kind of ironic because now there's a ton more security professionals you know, coming into the field that know how to do security, they know how to do stuff, but unless you're going into the open source, you're, you're still kind of stuck a lot in the like the widgets uh, you know, of like, here's the box, here's the two things you can do with it and it's gonna keep you safe. So uh, the, the, the long story here is essentially, um, I took kind of part of this and uh, I wanted to also make it very accessible, right? And so if I was thinking about accessibility of solutions in IT, right, in the IT space, well, you kind of have like things like AWS, right? Mm -hmm. AWS meant that uh, all of a sudden, if you know you needed a virtual machine to do something, you needed a database, you need these things, you could just get access to it. You didn't have to go and like petition Oracle for maybe having the right to own one of their databases, right? Um, and I really, really like that. And then I looked at cybersecurity and it was like, it's not there. Nothing's there. Right. If you wanted an EDR, um, you had to like, you know, I'm going to pick on them, but just because it's the first word that comes to mind. Right. Like, but you, you call on carbon black and you go, Hey, may I please have an EDR? And then like, okay, well, you know, we're going to chat over the next three months. And then if we still like you, then maybe we'll give you the right to get a license. And, you know, it's like, so it's super frustrating. So we're kind of taking this essence of AWS and then this essence of, look, you get the keys to be able to do the things that you need. And we're bringing in together. So you know, we, we kind of put in simple terms and it's like, we're building AWS for cybersecurity, right? Uh, what we really mean by that is, here's an ecosystem of solutions, right? So it's not just like, you know, this is a SIM and like, does it do anything else? No, it's like, it's the one Gartner label, 
but rather we're saying, look, we have a ton of solutions, like a ton of technical solutions that you can you can get, you can choose to use, you can use them the way you want. They're all in this ecosystem where it's all kind of designed to work together. So it's like Lego blocks, right? You, you want to take like the EDR and like ingest this other type of thing and automate those together. You totally can. So we're, we, you know, we remove the judgment out of it, right? We're not telling you how to run security operations. We're, we're saying, look, you, we know you're a security professional. You know how to do really cool stuff. We're just going to give you the right tools. And then we do that in a way, in an AWS type of environment where, you know, let's say you're an incident responder, right? So you get a call from a big company and they say, we think we've been hacked, right? And then as an incident responder, you you just, you know, you want to get in there and deploy and do what you need to do. Um, you don't want to, you know, call Carbon Black and try to get a deal for, you know, over the next two months, right? That, so this uh, this way, you're able to just go on Lima Charlie and just say, you know what? I need a new tenant, just like AWS, right? It's all multi-tenant. So you go, I need a new tenant for that customer. You know, click, give it a name. 20 seconds later, you're up and running. You've got a tenant. You know, there are 5,000, you know, endpoint company. Okay, I want 5,000 endpoint. Click, wait five seconds. You're good to go, right? So we're kind of taking all this like super businessy, uh, you know, friction that, that's been... I understand why, right? I understand why it's been there in security, but like we kind of tried to take all that complexity and just say, okay, strip that out. This is like AWS and we're just making specialized, you know, infrastructure type tools for people that know how to do security. And then we try to get out of the way. So that's my summary. <laughs> <laughs> I like the big breath at the end, like, okay, I've done it. <laughs> so is it, is it Lima Charlie or Lima Charlie? Lima Charlie. Lima Charlie. And that means? Oh, God. Uh, it, it means to, it comes from two different spots, right? One of them is like the openly speaking, it's like Lima Charlie is NATO alphabet for loud and clear, Lima and then Charlie LC. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of unofficial thing is more that I was, I started working on that when I was uh, working remotely for a company and I was in France at the time. And I, in the south of France, there was this tiny cafe, and they were super nice to me because I could go there every morning and work from there with my laptop, yeah. and uh, which was not super common there. And anyway, they were called Cafe LC. So it was a little bit of a tip of the hat. That's cool. That's, I like that. I like the, yeah, that's cool. I like the merging of those two. I had looked up Lima Charlie because uh, I like to do a decent amount of very in-depth research. You're known for that. Yeah. Known for it. So I Googled Lima Charlie meaning. And uh, by the way, that was as far as I got into my research this time. So busy lately. And I saw that it meant loud and clear. But adding that, like, it's the cafe in France that you worked out of. That's really cool, too. Yeah. I don't know which one came first. <laughs> Yeah, chicken and the egg. So I I've built out some EDR operations before, and I guess I should say this too, just for our, our listeners' benefit. I know I know how much I love this technology, so I get into the acronyms real quick. Um, EDR stands for Endpoint Detection and Response. Correct. And there's all of these like awful ways that we can quickly summarize it by saying it's antivirus on crack. It's uh, but it, but it really is. It's so much more than than what people are used to when they're buying like their Symantec antivirus or Norton antivirus and kind of lumping that in with the same thing as as EDR. So that's that's the wrong way to approach it. Um, this gives you uh, a tremendous amount of information, not just about 
if a file is a good file or a bad file, but information about um, how that file interacts with other files or with um, the processor or how it lives in, in memory. And it's it's all about like the relationship of, of how files um, operate on your computers. And since I've built out EDR operations twice now at two different companies, um, I can say that like the pain of procurement is real. Uh, forging a, a, a partnership with a big EDR company um, can be, uh, f- when we were working with, with the bank, it was an 18 month, just getting approved, all the approvals that we needed on our end and on their end, it was 18 months of like, and our legal teams going back and forth and all that kind of business um, before we were even ready to begin implementation. I just want you to know, he's got a product that'll do it in five seconds, so. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Come on, man. We may have. I mean, even even if if Lima Charlie was around when the first time we were doing this, we may have still made those same decisions because um, you know we we like the carbon black product and um, and and for a lot of reasons. But um, it was it was difficult and painstaking. What I like about what you're saying isn't just that it's a a low barrier for entry to getting access to that information. The that information about how files communicate. We call that telemetry. I want to define that from the beginning. Um, But getting access to EDR telemetry, uh, it used to it used to have a very high financial burden. You had to buy a huge enterprise class tool. What I like about what you're saying about Lima Charlie, even even better than the rapid deployment is um, if I've got a couple of workstations that I need to get that data out of. Well, then I just pay for a couple of workstations to get that data out of it. Well, the, the, the old way is like having to go and petition for a huge um, operating expense spend, like a multi-year project where you're going to amortize it. Like the finance of getting a new cybersecurity technology for a business is frustrating. And we're cybersecurity nerds. We're, we're not accountants. We're not trying to speak that business language. Yeah. So if I can go to you and I can say like, oh, I got three of them. Can I get three of them? What is that? That's 250 times three. I don't even have to figure out how much that is. I know that if I ask for 250 times three, my accounting team is going to say, yes, that's okay. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think what's interesting is that like when we started, you know, we started with that model and kind of like that vision and all that, but we never realized just how much of an impact this had on a ton of different people in security, um, like indirectly, right? Because, you know, you're describing like usage, you know, case where you're in a company, right? You're a CISO or something and, you know, trying to get something set up. But we started talking to people um, like uh, like incident response, right? And, uh, and we're chatting with them. And yeah, they, what they really like initially is, well, you know, I can go respond to an incident for like two weeks and then leave. And like, that's what I pay for, right? That like, there's no kind of waste around it. But also what we discovered is uh, then they started saying, well, the other part that's really cool is that, uh, yeah, you know, I had two other choices as an IR consultant, like before, which was I could use open source, which don't get me wrong, it's great. But there's a lot of setup around open source, right? It's not like, you know, turnkey. Or there's like these these other like EDR companies that will give you 
the, the a couple of licenses like after negotiating like a type of contract where you can go and use their stuff for free at a company. But what we learned is they said, look, that's fine. The catch is that, you know, as an IR company, at the end of the IR, we want to convince those guys to do a contract with us so we can monitor them, you know, like for not forever, but like in the long term, right? But then because of those licenses, we get those EDR companies that are also service providers. They have their own sock. And then they go to our customer and they go and they say, hey, by the way, no, just deal with us. We, we sell a much better service. And then they get poached like that. And so those, those IR guys are like, we love it because, you know, we're an infra company. So if we don't stay, you don't stay. And like, we're aligned, right? So it's um, it's been stuff like that or like talking to like um, some some tech people, you know, some security people that really liked doing security. And they're like, yeah, I'm thinking of starting a business. And before they were like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to go and, you know, get a million dollar loan to like try to start something. And now it's just like, well, just don't buy anything until you hit the market and you get your first customer and then pay as you go. Right. It's uh, it's been really cool. So if I were to explain the difference between EDR, what you just know and what you normally have on your computer, it'd be like your computer has a neighborhood watch and EDR is like a police station. Would that be similar? Because they're both built to protect. It's like if I were just me as a user, not compared to a business, just me, my computer would have like a neighborhood watch. Like it's on the lookout. It's paying attention to what's going on. I can't get much data. I can get like rough estimates of what's going on in the neighborhood. But if I'm running a business, I want like a full on police station. We've got detectives who've got information who do the work to figure out what's going on. And I'd say, would that be the difference between like. I've started a business and I use my personal laptop. I don't have a lot of systems, but now I have more computers. I want to get EDR, which would be the the difference yeah. kind of between neighborhood watch and a police station. I like the analogy, but the one, if I was going to get real nitpicky, I would say when people think of police stations, they think of a uh, a group of people who protect. And EDR, um, n- natively, EDR does not it does not do anything. It does not shut. It does not by itself shut things down. So if if you have that police station, it would be like, what if your police station just never intervened when they saw crimes? Gotcha. So take your neighborhood watch, except now you're living in a, a 55 and older community that is just for retired. <laughs> right. Yes, that's a great analogy. The amount of information they give you about the person they saw walking down the street is way more than just, hey, we saw somebody in the neighborhood we've never seen before. Yep. Right. Yeah. So on that note, um, uh, Maxim, if if you agree with my criticism of the analogy, um, how how does how does your approach, how does Lima Charlie help those first responders in a way that might be novel or different? Yeah, you know, we we talked a lot around like I, I kind of mentioned the the business I guess aspect of it, right? At a technical level, it, it kind of goes back to uh, when I was saying like you get the keys, right? So I think the big difference is. Um, if you're trying to respond to an incident, like as a security professional, right? Um, it's not, you know, it's not for grandma and grandpa. But the uh, very often you'll find yourself in a position where you can see something, and you go, "I can see it. I, I know how to describe it. I should be able to stop it, right?" Um, and so, uh, I guess in the analogy, right, it, it's kind of the difference between 
like uh, you know the, the the antivirus just seeing something it knows really well and like stopping it automatically and and then the other case in the case of the edr is you saying like look as a as a human i mean there's automation later and all that stuff obviously but like ultimately it's me having the keys to this thing i'm able to go and say you know i, I don't like this happening uh, i'm going to go and i'm going to action it right i'm going to stop it or i'm going to investigate and then like stop it and that's something that's like it the, the word edr i find it super fascinating because a long time ago it meant exactly like what you guys described right and then over time people started saying well it's like it's the next gen edr or av and so i think it kind of like shifted towards well it's really you know 80% av 20% edr and it was like oh if you want to like stop a thing that looks like that you can but anything else like yeah that's not what it's for right so the the the, the pure edr aspect is really saying I have governance, right? I have control over, like, I always use the example of WannaCry because it was such a good example. Like, if you guys remember when WannaCry hit, it was just so easy to detect and stop. Like, it, it was a statically named, you know, executable file, like, always the same name. It was, like, so simple. And if you didn't have the right tool, you might have had, like, an AV and that was cool, but you kind of had to like call up your AV and go, hey, are you guys stopping this? And if they said, we'll have a patch tomorrow, we're like, okay, I guess that's it. I guess I'm going to wait. But it should have been so easy for, you know, whoever doing security to go and say, you know what, if wannacry.exe is running, stop it. Done, right? So I, that's how I kind of visualize that the difference in being able to like own the stuff you're protecting versus being like a, a consumer of a security product of somebody else kind of thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, one of the things that I was kind of tinkering around with, um, I guess I should mention this, like w Maxim talked uh, in, in pretty good detail about how he's trying to like make this tool more success, uh, more accessible. Mm -hmm. um, anybody in the world can get started for free, um, right? Uh, do you want to talk That's about right. about that that trial? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, it's super simple, right? It was just, um, we have this thing, it's self-serve. Well, why not give, like, a free tier? We knew that there's a ton of, like, security researchers and, you know, people at home on a Saturday, right, just want to play with something or running in their lab. So um, we we made, like, the, the default off-the-street thing. You can, you know, sign up, you get... Um, two organizations, that's like a tenant in Lima Charlie, and then two sensors for free, and all the features are enabled for free, and like that's just how it is. Um, yeah, so that's, I think it's, I mean, I, I think back in you know, my days, and I would have thought that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that I really appreciate about, though, is that you've now, you've given, you've given people access to this information that have never had it before, and there's something of a community that is that is forming um, to, to support that. They're, they're gravitating towards that. Um, something that I've noticed in incident response and uh, actually incident responders, the humans who drive um, the, the incident response and the people who are cybersecurity analysts and are looking at logs and, and, and different data is that we love sharing information with each other about 
the latest thing that we've seen, the latest attack, the latest change to uh, some vulnerability, right? Highly communicative group of people. But what you guys have with Lima Charlie is this ability to take telemetry and even if it's old telemetry, you can take it, you can kind of box it up and you can replay all that data back through all of the technology, all of, all of the, um, uh, if you built automation off of it or, or whatever you've done, you can take it and you can run historic telemetry through your current environment just to see what happens. Um, and that is probably like one of my favorite things that um, that you've done because now we're sharing this information with each other. We can share more high fidelity information with each other and we can say like, oh, you got compromised by a what? Let's sign an NDA. Let's get some communication here and let me drop that into my own environment here and see if I'm inoculated against this thing that you weren't. Interesting. That is super interesting. I had not even thought about like that that last bit, like that use case. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's totally true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to test it like in a vacuum, right? Without going in. I mean, you could go and rerun the attack, but that's expensive. That's difficult. Uh, so yeah, you just like export some some of your telemetry and yeah, we're going to try to make that make that more seamless for sure. That's really cool stuff. I actually understand it too. Well, not like fully. Because in my head, I'm trying to imagine what the program looks like and like how it works and how it feels. But I'm not I'm not a cybersecurity guy. So if I were to open it up, I'd just stare at it and cry, probably. <laughs> um, but the ideas that you guys are talking about, I'm grasping, which is cool. Yeah. That you can share like, oh, it's almost like, uh, hey, there's this virus going around. Uh, I got it. Do you want the information to stop yourself from getting it too? It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll gladly take that. And now you can prevent it from spreading. By just doing the simple thing, you know, the very easy and free thing of sharing information with one another or just going ahead and getting vaccinated. Sorry, I mixed two things there. <laughs> yeah, the information sharing is not new. It's it's the amount of stuff that you can do with the information um, simply because you can replay telemetry with 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 Lima Charlie. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you're doing it this way, too, because it's it's this it's similar to the fact that Amazon with AWS the way they started was a disruption of the way things had always been. Like, problem with access. You you got to go into a bookstore to buy books. Well, why don't I just bring the bookstore to you? Your guys' thing is you got to go to this big company and go through all this trouble to get the information that you should already have anyway. Why don't we just bring that information to you? I think that's brilliant. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And that's why we also, like, you know, we, we, we try to do things. So we're not open source, but, you know, given it used to be open source, you get the feel throughout it, right, that, you know, we try to be as close to open source as possible. And uh, that's why we did things like um, uh, our EDU. So we do edu.lingacharlie.io. And it's here's how to use the systems, right? We have a free tier. The, the, the education piece, like the courses, are free as well because, we're not in the business of doing training, right? Nothing wrong with that. So people do really great training, but we really want to focus on kind of the thing where we're good at. Um, and so we're just, you know, yeah, make it as easy as possible to go and do that. Same with the documentation, right? Why, why have the documentation behind like a paywall of like, come on, like this, this is 2021. <laughs> I love that you're like, make one of the hardest jobs you can have in cybersecurity 
easy as possible. It's still, I mean, like the 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 barrier for entry from like a technical knowledge and understanding level to to work with EDR telemetry is, I mean, that's top shelf. You've got to really be committed to staring at a monitor um, to be able to understand this stuff. So yeah, make it as easy as possible. It's still going to be super difficult. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Totally. It, not not programming group. <laughs> Yeah. How long did it take you to develop this stuff? Like to develop Lima Charlie to get to the point where it is now. About how many years has the process been? Oh, four months. You yeah. you might be smarter than I'm giving you credit for. Four months. <laughs> you know. Um. Yeah. It's it's a good question. I mean, like we started the company about three years ago. Um. And then before that, there's a couple of years of the open source EDR. Um. But it's really one of those things where, um. It's accumulation of the experiences of having built the same thing five times before. So yeah. the sixth time, you're, you know, you know how to do it better, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Was the plan from the beginning to create an open source EDR, and then, well, we're gonna incorporate after that, and we're gonna we're gonna close that source, and we're gonna it's gonna be a business venture, or was it just like let's make this thing, let's see what happens? Ooh, there's a really good opportunity here. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't the business aspect at all. Um, when I started the EDR uh, that was called like Lima Charlie, uh, it was really a lot more for me a question of kind of like scratching that itch, right? Seeing I was kind of frustrated by seeing all these tools, and it's like, come on, we we can do better. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of put into the world like, hey, here's what I think we could do. Um, th- I, I learned a really interesting lesson on open source back back uh, in that time, which is. It, you can make something free and put it out there, um, but it takes just as much like marketing and sales and all this stuff as a commercial product. Um, yeah, ton of respect for open source folks. Yeah, so so it, it was kind of that at the time, and then leaving Google, um, getting the invention assignment, and then uh, which means you know like Google says, yeah, you were you know you you own Google owned that while you were here, but now you know it's yours. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's a gap between that where, you know, a lot of questioning early on because we had an EDR, which like you described was this high value, you know, like piece of IP. Um, and so people, you know, we were kind of talking to a bunch of people and a lot of people were just, you know, saying, like, oh, just start an EDR, right? Just do another EDR. And like, that's fine, but there's a bunch of other EDRs out there. Um, so it took us, I'd say, about a year to really kind of bake in this idea of, okay, this is where we're going, and the reason we're going there, it's not the easy path, but it's the path where, you know, I'll never regret having done that because of the, the type of impact it can have. Yeah. Okay, so um, Google X, CrowdStrike, working for in the public center in, in, in Canada, um, founding your own business, and this is the second business that you founded, right? Um, well, I mean, it, it depends techni- technically. So I guess it, in the entrepreneurship, um, I was uh, sort of founder-ish of like part of the business for an MSSP many years ago. Um, I was part of founding team of Chronicle Security, um, so at Google X. Um, so it depends how you count. I would say it was my first kind of really completely, you know, ground up just by ourselves thing, uh, but a lot of bits along the way. 
Okay, so uh, a super diverse like a career, right? You didn't just pick somebody and climb the ladder. You've stepped out on your own. You've worked for the government. Um, tell me about some lessons that you've learned in working in all these different organizations. Oh, that's uh, that's a good question. It's a good question. It's, I mean, there's a ton of things, right? I, I think the biggest kind of uh, across the whole spectrum, right? Learning that I did is um, I left the government back in the day after something like seven years. And then I went and I worked for CrowdStrike. And it was it was a bit of a culture shock in many ways, right? Because I kind of went from this environment where, yeah, everything's a green field and the concept of money, you know, at my level never came in, right? We were just all doing a mission and the concept of business really wasn't there. Um, and so working at CrowdStrike was interesting because I went from, you know, from zero to a hundred really like all of a sudden. Um, so I, it's interesting for me to look in the past at like some of the kind of reactions that I had at the time, right? Seeing, you know, uh, discussed like, uh, you know, hey, you know, we're going to try and do this thing because it has an impact on valuation and blah, blah, blah. Um, and now, you know, I've kind of mellowed and had a bunch of like learning in between and kind of realized that the, uh, just like the open source, right? Having a good technical idea and something in place, the delta between that and you know, surviving, right, as a company, right, being able to say, look, we can keep the lights on and things are moving. Um, there's a lot that has to go in there. And it's tricky to, you know, to carve your space, you know, to, to remain, you know, you want to be sleeping at night kind of thing. Um, but uh, at some point, you know, you're going to have to learn to take trade-offs and various things. So that's been, that's been a good one. Yeah, remember sleeping at night? No, I don't. <laughs> I have night terrors uh, because when I play video games and I lose a lot, I don't want to undercut the great point that you made is there's there's a trade off between we have to do business things, but also we have to do things that I believe in that make me proud to do. And sometimes those things that make you proud to do, they don't pay the bills, but yeah. but it makes you like this is the thing that I want to do because it's the right thing. But then it's like, well, this is the thing I need to do because. I want to eat too. Yeah. We had, uh, so this is funny you should bring this up because just this week I was talking with somebody who had some cybersecurity concerns. Um, they were a business owner. They owned a CPA firm, a small CPA firm, a new one in another state. I forget even which one. And we're talking on the phone and I'm just walking them through like um, the 20 critical internet security controls or you know, like things that founding businesses should take into consideration when they're starting a business from a security perspective because it's way cheaper it's, it's way more inexpensive yes it's way more cost effective to you plan your security from the beginning rather than grow a behemoth and then try to snap security onto it um and as we're talking i just i notice at some point she is done with the conversation maybe five minutes in mm. so i was just stopping and i was like can i just like take your temperature on where we're at I feel like we're not connecting anymore. And she said, you know, honestly, I just, I feel like we're too early in, in starting this business for us to get into like this, this huge business relationship. And I was like, no, everything I have planned to tell you today is totally free. There's not even a sales pitch. I can give you the sales pitch now if that would make you more comfortable, but I just want to help you yeah. not repeat 
uh, you know, conversation, the same, the same problems that we've seen happen to other people where they, you know, lose the sight of their dream. So it, it's so funny to start, start hearing like this dichotomy between wanting to help. I, I measure success by being impactful and being helpful. But when I do that and I spend my time talking to ladies who aren't interested in taking ownership of their own cybersecurity, that's time that I am not spending putting food on the table. Yep. Yeah, and, and especially that you know we we see security day in day out, so we have a very different vision of what it is, right? Uh, and yeah. one one might think that the more you have to lose, the more you know passion you feel about it. But I mean, you know, back in the government, like uh, at one point we do a rounds like visiting departments about some incident that happened, and we would talk to like head of security of like this big department. And then, you know, I'm all gung-ho, you know, like young security professional. And I sit down and the guy just, you know, looks at me and goes, well, I'm going to start this conversation. All I really want from you is you tell me what's the box that I need to buy and put on my network to be safe. And it's like, all right, you know, tap it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, the least yeah. amount of time we can spend together, that's what I want. <laughs> That's how this podcast works with me and Joshua too. <laughs> we don't hang out outside of this. This is our our, our uh, court mandated yeah. community service <laughs> to each other. <laughs> what we need in order to get into the the end game of this, you know, I love referencing Marvel as much as I possibly can. You get it, end game, because it's a movie that. So what we where where do we go to get more information about Lima Charlie? What do we got to do? Um, LimaCharlie.io, um, and we have like Slack.LimaCharlie.io and EDU, so, but all all the links are going to be there and tons to work. What What's next for Lima Charlie? You know, we talked a whole lot about EDR, right? And uh, and that's kind of you know we talk about it as like that's our EC2, right? Or like meat and potatoes. Um, but again, we talk about AWS of cybersecurity, so we kind of have a bigger vision in that. And what we're what we're going to bring in is we're going to kind of open up the uh, the, the pipeline. So the, the way that you know we bring telemetry from the endpoints, we've built this really great pipeline of telemetry and being able to run rules and all that in real time and send it to the right places. Like there's a ton there. We're going to open that up to external sources. And in fact, we're actually going to open source the client to ship those events to Lima Charlie. So you're going to be able to go and say, you know what? I've got like CloudTrail logs. I want to bring them in. I've got carbon black endpoints. I'm going to bring them in. And we're kind of going to be that, that fabric where, you know, we'll kind of take all these sources of data, make sense of it, and give you, you know, one point where you can put controls, put detection on it. And you can also send it, you know, wherever you need, right? So kind of that, that focus point is where we're headed. That. I know you don't care about what he just said. That's awesome. That's like that's like what if you could take uh, everything that we know about Sims and how Sims work and actually make it value operationally valuable. Sims are valuable from a compliance perspective. I get that you don't care about this. It, it, that's cool. I'm I'll keep my eyes peeled on. I want you to know my brain went to the Sims video game. We don't have time to unpack it. Uh, let me just say that if you've got questions for us, you can reach us at, uh, you can go to our website at citadel.com. 
Uh, you can tweet us at Citadel Podcast. Um, there's a million different ways you can get a hold of us. So many questions now. <laughs> but there's only one question left for the podcast. Gosh. Um, that's for you, Maxim. Can it be about Sims? No, it can't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Podcast law states that the last question <laughs> is, um, throughout your career, throughout your personal life, throughout your, at all facets of your life, I'm sure that you've been given uh, a ton of advice about about all kinds of different stuff. What is the single best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Could be business, could be professional, could be otherwise. Um, what's the single greatest piece of advice that, that, that you've ever received? Oh, man. It's such a small scope, right? It's such a niche question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think be helpful to people because it's going to come back to you. Um, you know, we're all trying to do so uh, things that are so difficult. And if you're helpful to people in general, it just it just makes working a lot easier. It makes your relationships better. Um, it just makes everything better. I like that. That's really fun. Has nothing to do with the game, though, right? Since... Hey, 